You're listening to Permission To, the podcast where we dive into the science and soul of owning your worthiness as a perfectly imperfect human being. I'm your host, Sam Jew, psychotherapist, positive psychology coach, mama to a beautiful five-year-old, Emily, and passionate advocate for living an inspired life. My aim is to show you that you have full permission to own your worthiness so that you can embrace your true nature and begin walking boldly toward your dreams. Let's dive in. Julie Parker is the founder of the Beautiful You Coaching Academy, where she passionately trains and supports heart-centered people to become life coaches. The editor-in-chief of Inspired Coach Magazine, a published author and an in-demand speaker, Julie has inspired thousands of people on stages all over the world and is the recipient of numerous leadership and women's business awards. Julie is also the co-founder of Priestess Temple School and host of the Top Ranking Priestess podcast, a modern-day priestess with a focus on her Celtic, Balkan, Iberian and Greek lineage. Julie is committed to contributing to a world where qualities of intuition, presence, social justice and service are honoured. Julie lives in Melbourne with her husband, stepdaughter and two much-loved adopted cats. So tell me, Julie, what does it look like to create a heart-centred life? Well, Samantha, I think the first thing is actually knowing what heart-centred means to you. Uh, or means to anybody in particular, because there is a lot of nuance and colour here and it's different for everybody. And so if anybody wants to live a heart-centred life, the first thing is you have to get really real and juicily honest with yourself around what that might actually look like for you and what it means to you and even what your heart means to you and what connecting with that means. Because let's face it, we're not really walking around in life having very many people ask us such a powerful question. You know, we're going through our day and people might be asking us, how are you or what are you having for dinner tonight? But we're not necessarily really asking ourselves questions or each other questions like, what does it mean to you to live a heart-centered life? And so getting in touch with what that truly does mean for us is going to be the starting point here. And as I just mentioned, it's going to look different for everybody. But I think at the core of it, it's going to be intuitively and soulfully what feels good and aligned for you. It's like not what other people are telling you to do, not what society might be sending you messages about that you need to turn up with uh, or do or look a certain way or earn a certain amount of money or have a business that looks a particular way, but simply what feels right and aligned for you from a place of soul and a place of heart. And if you tap into that side of yourself and that part of yourself, then you're going to create a life for yourself that has real depth and meaning and I think that's where it all begins I love that it it makes me think of um, a a thing that I talk a lot about with my community is you know focusing on joy first um, which I guess for me is a bit of a clue to you know following my heart it's like where I feel the joy is where my heart center lies so perfect would you say that that's similar to when people talk about following your intuition then or is it a little bit different to that 
Look, I think our intuition is different, uh, but it's certainly going to be something that can help you tap into your heart Mm -hmm. Uh, because really, you know, we're talking about tapping into your heart as the the lifeblood and and pump of your being, getting out of your head, so to speak, and really, really grounding into your body, you know, that that depth of your your chest cavity where your heart really lives. Mm. And so, you know, for anybody to be able to do that and remove themselves from their monkey mind and all the thoughts that you might have and our ego and tap into your heart, then listening to your intuition and your soul voice is going to be a pathway to taking you there. Mm. Yeah, that's really powerful. And I was just thinking, I'm not sure about you, Julie, but for me, I think in some ways I was probably more heart-centered when I was younger and then you, I almost lost my, um, well, it just came really naturally to me. Like I can think of a time when I was a teenager and I was really good at maths and economics and, you know, everyone was kind of pushing me to go into business, but my heart just told me that I wanted to make a difference in people's lives, which is why I decided to study social work instead. And so it was almost like I think as a teenager, I found it a bit easier to be heart-centred and to really listen to my heart, whereas as an adult, I almost kind of unlearnt some of that. Oh, Samantha, what you are saying here is so very, very common. You know, as children, we are naturally uh, curious. Mm. Uh, We play more we are less concerned about the opinions and thoughts and judgments of others. And we are this whole perfect, creative, wild, free little being. Mm. And then we grow up (laughs) (laughs) and we start to take on wider societal messages. Uh, We may have experiences at school and at work we start tapping into the lives and thoughts and opinions of other people more and this is all a part of being connected to each other but also it can fill our thoughts and our minds and our psyche with things that are not necessarily good for us and then before we know it we're labeling ourselves we're holding ourselves back we're comparing ourselves to others and suddenly we lose that sense of curiosity and play and connection with who we are because we've taken on board all of these other messages around us trying to tell us who we are and who we should be. And so one of the greatest things that we can do as adults is try to return to that curiosity, try Mm -hmm. to return to that joy and that playfulness and really tapping into that that heart and centre of who we are, which has got nothing to do with what anybody else is or what society may tell us we are. Mm. Yeah, and I think naturally children and teenagers, they're more willing to kind of rebel against what people think they should do, right? Mm. it's like yeah like I when I did decide to study social work I had so many like oh why would you want to do that so much negativity but I was kind of like no I'm gonna do it like you know don't worry about what everyone else thinks Uh, because I think teenagers in particular you can have that kind of real rebellious like standing strong kind of stance but then we do you're right we we lose that kind of inner child that curiosity that playfulness as we grow older Mm. Mm. yeah we certainly do and 
to a certain extent, that's a part of, you know, growing up and becoming an adult and we have responsibilities and lives and bills to pay and taxes and, you know, children to feed and all of those kinds of things. And nobody is, you know, making any suggestion that we should throw all of those things away or that that's not reality. But it's about how we can commit to being an adult and a self-responsible one as well, but also understanding that that does not mean uh, needing to step away from joy and play and curiosity. And in fact, it makes it even more important that we do so. Oh, that's so true. And, And I was just thinking, it's often a story that I find a lot of mums I work with have, you know, like, well, now that I'm a mum, you know, I can't choose the things that my heart yearns for. And now that I'm a mum, you know, I, yeah, I need to put myself last. And and they often mums can lose that heart-centred kind of living as well. Um, so it's kind of balancing the responsibilities and the joy of being a mum with, with still kind of tapping into our own desires. Oh, for sure. And that is not an easy thing to balance. It's not a, you know, there is no line or box there. You know, it's something that is different for every person and may wax and wane at different points in our lives and times. But, you know, one of the things that I think is always really powerful for us to remember is that as we get older and we look back on our lives and think about our parents and what they were like when we were children and we become adults and, you know, have children of our own, is that so often when we think about joyful experiences as a child, it's when our parents or caregivers, grandparents, aunties, uncles, and things like that were playing with us, Mm. were creative with us, were laughing with us, were silly with us, you know, is like those are so often the times seemingly innocuous in many ways that spark something in a child's memory and you carry that with you into adulthood. And so when we commit to finding joy and being creative and playful with ourselves as an adult, that absolutely has an impact on any children in our life. Yeah, that is so true. I find um, my daughter, the things that she always wants to do again and again and again are like just so silly and and joyful and fun, but she just remembers them and wants to do them over and over again. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's powerful. Yep. Yeah. And so how does one create heart-centred goals? Like where does one start to in, in creating those goals? Well, to me, Samantha, it's all about how you want to feel. Hmm. because you know we're surrounded by different types of uh you know smart goals and efficient goals and go get them goals and hustle goals (laughs) you know all of that sort of stuff and there is nothing necessarily wrong with setting goals in that way or trying to attain things we want to do in our life in that way but to me if you want to really live a heart-centered life and you want to set heart-centered goals that will help you do that, the first and foremost thing that you will tap into is how you want to feel when you achieve something. So let me give you an example. There are a lot of people that set weight loss goals for themselves. 
And they might even, for example, not necessarily directly set a weight loss goal, but they might try and steer away from that by saying, oh, it's a health goal, Mm -hmm. right? I'm setting a health goal here. I'm setting a wellness goal or a nutrition goal. But for some people, it's a weight loss goal. And they will set a goal that says something like, you know, lose 10 kilos or, um, you know, be a size eight. And that's the goal that they set for themselves. And they set out trying to achieve that. Now, the thing that I have learned now after coaching thousands of people, both one-on-one and in groups from all over the world, is that so very often those goals end up deeply disappointing people. And not only do they disappoint them, but they can, in fact, dent their confidence and their self-esteem when they find themselves on quite literally, pun intended, a bit of a treadmill that means that they're going around and around in circles. And even if they do achieve that goal or come close to achieving it, sometimes they still don't get what they want even though they might lose those 10 kilos or they might become that size eight. And the reason for that I've found time and time again, Samantha, is because they're focusing on the number or the outcome rather than how they actually want to feel when they reach that destination. And this is where we see people who lose weight and are still unhappy Mm. or people who become a certain size and then expect that all of a sudden they'll become the hottest date in town and there's no Prince Charming on a white horse um, or even someone to buy them a cocktail. And they're like, hang on a second, I thought that becoming thinner meant that I was going to be desirable and attractive to people. Like, what is that about? And why isn't this happening? And why have I lost all of this weight? And I still don't feel confident and I still don't feel good about myself and so when I'm working with people and I'm a huge advocate and component for the fact that don't set goals that have outcomes like that but instead focus on how you want to feel and then you've got a heart-centered goal and so a much much better goal for those types of achievements that someone is trying to aim for is something like feel the most loving and confident about my body that I've ever been or feel amazing when I leap out of bed every day. Now that may involve weight loss or a change in size for some people. And there's nothing wrong with people wanting those things, but the focus of the goal is different. It's coming from the heart. It's coming from how someone wants to feel. And so often if people just aim for that in their life, then no matter what happens with that goal, it will be the journey where they will find the joy and the heart and the feeling and the outcome that they want will become so much more lasting than just that number on the scale or the tag in the back of their clothes. Mm, that's such a great point and I was just thinking that when we focus on how we want to feel it also allows us to go a lot deeper and to do the inner work that we need to do so instead Mm. of thinking about well I need to lose weight you know 
actually, I want to feel confident. What do I need to do? What do I need to shift in my mindset and the stories I'm telling myself to feel confident? Um, so it, yes. it, it goes a lot deeper, doesn't it, when you set a heart-centered goal? It completely does. And that is so richly important for anybody that wants to live a heart-centered life. If you just want to skim the surface and you don't actually want to go deep, and you don't really want to get to know yourself and you don't want to bring out both your shadow and your shine and light and really, really immerse yourself in a world of your own creation that means that you get to live the life that you want to most live and you get to leave a legacy that you most want to leave that touches people's lives in however way that might be, then you'll absolutely go deeper and you will commit to the work that is required that those sorts of journeys take and you'll reap the rewards for doing so too. Mm, And it will feel so much more meaningful, I think, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And have you always lived a heart-centred life or was there a pivotal or life-changing moment where you chose heart-centred living? You know, Samantha, I don't think there is a pivotal moment. You know, I don't, I'm not, this is such a wonderful question. Mm. And I'm not really certain that I can sit here and say, oh, yes, I've always lived a heart centered <laughs> life. It's like, I don't know. You know, I think back to myself, was I living a heart centered life when I was, you know, a university student and going out drinking with my friends <laughs> three times a week and trying to remember to study and turn up to class and dealing with guy problems and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. I mean, mm. probably not really. <laughs> but, but then again, that's normal. You know, yes. that's what you do as an 18 to sort of 23, 24-year-old. It's like that's what life is in many ways at that point in time. And so You know, I don't necessarily think that I could say I've always been living a heart-centered life. But then again, there's also when I look at it from another perspective, there's another part of me that thinks, well, yes, I have been, but I don't necessarily know whether it's always been by design or by conscious choice. I think to a certain extent, it's just ingrained as a part of who I am. And I think also partially it has to do with my upbringing as well. I was raised by a single mother who's a very heart-centered woman and she was all about community, service, kindness. What can you do with your life that will make a difference to other people? And I think when you grow up with such a profound role model like that, it's very, very hard to not live anything but a heart-centered life. Mm -hmm. That's so powerful. It, so it sounds like in some ways, actually, your, your heart-centred living began when you were a child and it was like really encouraged and nurtured by your mum. Completely. Yeah. Yep. I would absolutely yeah. say that that would be the case for sure. And I also think this is a slightly different tangent, Samantha, mm-hmm. but I also think that this is partially connected for me as well growing up on a farm I was very much a farm and nature girl and and I while I don't live on a farm anymore I am deeply connected to to cyclical nature-based living you know around the seasons my menstrual cycle seasons of life all of those things and I think it's very hard to live in that way and be influenced by mother earth and the moon and 
you know, all of those kinds of things and not also be connected to your heart because Mm. it's an embodiment. You know, when you commit to living with the cycles of Mother Earth, the moon, your own natural blood cycle and more, then you're really committing to your heart as well. It is a part of the embodiment of that. You're moving out of your cerebral brain and just thinking all the time and you're actually grounding yourself into uh, the seasons and the cycles. And I think that that's a really significant part of being heart-centred, at least it is for me. Mm. That makes total sense. And would you say if someone is kind of new to that cyclical way of living, where, where would they start to, you know, begin to tap into that? Yeah, well, I think it's firstly about just being conscious of even what season it is in life. Like here in Australia at the moment, we are at the you know, height or and a little bit past really of autumn and we're coming into winter. And so from a seasonal perspective, autumn is a time of harvest. Uh, it's a time of gathering all of the things that you have learned over the bright shining summer and really taking that and nesting with it, learning from it, being grateful for what you've gleaned and thinking about the impending winter that is coming up and the fact that during winter uh, things are slower, they are darker, we move at a more gentle pace. And one of the things that impacts me in regards to that is the fact that during winter, and I'm sure many people feel the same, but maybe if they're not connected to cyclical living, understand why, we don't go out as much. Mm. We don't do as much. Everything is a little bit slower. We probably stay in our pajamas and socks a little bit longer on the weekends than we normally would during summer when we might be up earlier and out and about. And these things influence how we play, what we do. They influence our business. For example, I would never have a huge launch in my business in the depths of winter. I just wouldn't do it because it's more of a time of rest and slowness. And so because that's happening with the with Mother Earth, I try to reflect that in everything that I do. And so a first big step for somebody is just becoming aware of the seasons and what season Mother Earth is in and what that actually means and how it impacts you. And then you will start to see that there are so many other ways that you can track and get involved with things such as the cycle and season of the moon throughout the months and whether it is the full moon and a time to be more bright and illuminated or it's the dark or new moon and a time to be more introverted and also if you uh, menstruate um, your own blood cycle and because there is a massive difference in your energy level between when you may be bleeding as opposed to when you might be ovulating And so, for example, when you're bleeding, that is a connected time to being like winter. It's a time where you should slow down or you, you know, you would benefit from slowing down and being much more gentle and introverted with yourself. Whereas when you're ovulating, that's like summer. 
you know, it's a time when you're much brighter, you've got more energy and shine. And if you learn to track those things and deepen into them as a, a woman or woman identifying person, then it will change your life because how you manage your energy and the flow of everyday living just changes to be so much more delicious and easeful than if you don't. I love that. And uh, something I talk a lot with my community about, especially for women who are small business owners, is, you know, we're the boss of our lives and our businesses now. And so it's so important to honor our cycles and to listen to our energy and to be a little bit flexible with our business. I think it's a lot harder to do that when you're an employee. You know, sometimes it's a bit more challenging to honor those seasons because you, you might still have to show up at work, even though you feel like you need the rest. Absolutely. Yeah. So it's something. It is harder. Mm. Yeah. But I think, especially for women in business, there's a real opportunity there, isn't there, to honor the seasons. And I loved what you were saying about that you would never do a launch in winter as well. <laughs> really made me think <laughs> about how mm-hmm. I plan my thing, uh, plan my life and my business. And uh, there's something about what you were saying that made me think about, you know, a process every season of reflecting backwards on where you've been and what you've gained and what you've learned and then also reflecting forwards and preparing. And um, yeah, I love that kind of reflective process as well. Oh, it's very, very powerful. Yeah. Incredibly powerful and uh, just can be life-changing and business changing, Mm. you know, so often we're just in the motion, aren't we? We're just doing things. We're, you know, focused on things that of course we want to have positive outcomes for us, but so often I just think we don't take enough time to slow down and reflect mm. and really, really tap into, well, what's working for us and what's not. Yeah. And I, so I imagine heart-centred living could include journaling as well. Oh, completely. Absolutely. Mm. Uh, it, of course, depends upon the person. Mm. You know, there are whatever it is that helps you to tap into your heart and feelings mm. and bring them to the forefront will work for some people that may be journaling for others it might be meditation for others it might be dancing running in nature you know it could be many many different things and part of the joy for somebody that is trying to find these things for themselves is literally trying to find them and adventuring with that around what works and what doesn't yes so powerful that curiosity and that exploration Mm. And so what does it mean to you to own your wholeness? Well, you know, Samantha, if you'd have asked me this question 10 years ago, I think it's very likely that I would have given you a different answer Hmm. to what I would now. To me, when I think about owning my wholeness, I immediately think about all the parts of myself that I don't really like Mm -hmm. and that I don't love as much the stuff that is in, as they say, the shadows, you know, it's where I might feel small or not as good as somebody else, or that I have, you know, friction and tension within me where I think I should be better. And maybe I can be better, but also sometimes that I might be being hard on myself. And even the parts of myself where I know that I'm not doing as great as I could and that I could be a better human being. 
So when I think about owning my wholeness and being whole, it means ensuring that I don't forget about those parts of me too, because it is so much easier to think about all the stuff that I like about myself and the stuff that I'm good at and the stuff where I know that I shine and do well and just leave all that other stuff behind. But if I'm actually going to really embrace my wholeness, and I think it goes for all of us, if we're going to do that, then we must find ways to love and at least look at and be brave about those parts of ourselves that we don't necessarily love that much. And to understand that all those parts mean is that we're human, that we're on a path of healing and exploration and journeying, and that those parts of ourselves deserve just as much love and attention as any other parts of ourselves that come easily to us. Mm. Oh, I find that so, um, so much wisdom in that, you know, it's because I think I find a lot of women and, and human beings, they kind of, they look to a coach or a therapist or a mentor to kind of fix them. And, you know, they see themselves as being broken and that, you know, there's going to be some kind of magic wand that fixes them. And when you talk about owning your wholeness, what I have a sense of is that it's kind of releasing the shame around actually the fact that we are all flawed, we are all imperfect, and that that's a part of being human. I just find that so powerful. You summed that up beautifully, Samantha. Mm. Absolutely beautifully. It is absolutely a part of being human. And any level of denial or resistance that we have around that will only mean that that, that shadow and those parts of ourselves grow deeper and grow darker and become less uh, less something that we want to look at. Whereas if we just look at those parts of ourselves and think, well, I'm human, of course I experience jealousy and anger and bitterness and resistance and procrastination <laughs> and laziness and all sorts of things at all sorts of different times in my life, it doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. It just mm. simply means that I'm being called here to look at these things deeper within myself and that doing so has the potential to change my life. I certainly know that it has for me. Mm. And I was really curious as you were talking about how you've kind of changed the way you look at this idea because I was thinking if you were working with someone who had very low self-esteem or who was very self-critical, would you still encourage them to own their wholeness or would you kind of be trying to get them to look at their strengths and their, the positive sides of themselves first more? Oh, both. Mm. And, uh, yeah, it's both. We can absolutely look at and honour our strengths and mm. our light while also acknowledging our dark and shadow and things that we are not that great at and need to work on mm. because we have to stop seeing them as separate. Yeah. This is really, really important. We And I can tell from talking with you that you get that and understand yes. that, but we must stop seeing them as separate. You know, when I think of something that is whole, I often think of a circle. Mm. You know, I think, I think of something that is round with no sharp edges. And to me, a circle, you know, a moon, a perfect peach, you know, all of those things are just, they're just the perfect visual for me when I think about those things. And so that means that everything within that circle 
is influencing everything else. Mm. And that's very true when it comes to our own shadow and light. It's like the more that we push into the light, the further away we may get from the shadow, but then the more the circle tips Mm. and starts to not become a circle because it's not whole anymore. We're tipping towards one side. Whereas trying to get, you know, a balance of looking at both, honouring our light and shine and working on our shadow and where we're not so strong is just so deeply powerful because they both influence each other. A classic example of this, Samantha, is people-pleasing. Like this was a real shadow thing for me for a very, very long time. And it's all connected with that good girl myth and trying to get everybody to like you and thinking that that's even possible and perfectionism and all of those sorts of things. And it was not until I actually really, really started to properly look at that for myself as a significant part of my shadow that I actually realized how much it was dulling my light in so many other areas of my life. And that no matter how much I might have wanted to tap into all of the things that I was great at, it still wasn't going to make that much of a difference if I didn't actually look at that part of myself. Mm. And when I did and I started to release so many things in those areas of my life and really work on that shadow side of myself, it changed positively so many things that I was already doing well at but could then even do better at and a wonderful example of that even further is around boundaries Mm. as soon as I really worked on my people pleasing as a result of that I was able to set much firmer boundaries with myself and with other people because I was no longer concerned about what other people would think of me as a result of doing so. And lo and behold, the quality of relationships that I have in my life and the people I attract in my life just skyrocketed. Mm. Absolutely shifted for the better. Yeah, because I think what I talk to my community a lot about is that often we look at, we have an idea that something is a problem and we try to address that problem, but we're not, when you talk about owning your wholeness, you're really talking about what's addressing what's underneath. So you can say, oh, I want my coach to teach me boundaries, but really what's underneath that is the people pleasing. And Mm -hmm. so the way you talk about wholeness, I have a sense that it's really, yeah, addressing you as a whole person and looking much deeper than just kind of the surface level behaviours that you want to change. Absolutely. That's it. Mm -hmm. And so this once again circles back to what we were talking about earlier and that is that commitment to go deeper. Yeah, exactly. And I was also thinking with wholeness that, it's sometimes the something there's a part of us that can be a beautiful bright um really positive and powerful part of us but can also have that shadow and that challenging edge like for me I'm a really highly sensitive person and I used to see that as all shadow all darkness all negative and I had a lot of shame around it but as I've really you know explored it what I've realized is well it's actually also part of my light because that sensitive sensitivity really um, supports me in supporting my clients 
Mm. Um, and it kind of attracts people who are also sensitive to me. I, I often find that I just without even doing any marketing in my business, I just seem to attract really um, sensitive women into my community. Yep, that all makes complete sense. Yes. You know, so much about what we attract in life in that sort of realm that you're talking about is energetic. Mm. Uh, and, you know, there are a lot of systemic barriers that exist and play into, you know, what may present as challenges and difficulties for some people in, in those areas. There's no question about it. But ultimately, in the end, we are all responsible for our own personal energy. And the more that we own that and who we are, the more that we will have the capacity to attract exactly who it is that is meant to be and right for us, even if we don't realize that we're consciously doing it. Exactly. And, and not, it's about not looking at things black and white, isn't it? Like if I just said, oh, you know, my sensitivity is a problem. I need to fix it. It's, it's really bad. I would have missed out on all the depth of owning the wholeness of who I am as a person, you know, and that there's actually a lot of strengths and positive qualities within that sensitivity as well. Absolutely, without question. And it's exactly the same for anybody that has a very different personality to you mm. and might be less sensitive or, yeah. uh, you know, have just different skills and qualities. And this is where, particularly for the business owners that are listening, it is just so vital that you embrace your true and authentic nature, whatever mm. it is that you know that to be for you, because Trying to be anybody that you're not, first of all, is exhausting. Yes. We know this, <laughs> that after a while, the mask becomes very, very heavy and it just drags you down and you lose touch with who you really are. But more than that, you know, in the world of business and the online world and entrepreneurship, there are literally tens of millions, billions of people around the world with different personalities, characteristics, thoughts, needs, desires, and they're not all going to be served well by only one or even a handful of different types of people. They need, we all need different people. And so the more that we can embrace that true nature, the more likely it is that amazing people that connect with that true nature will come towards us mm, I love that but I think the magic is in the difference isn't it yes in owning your difference mm, it certainly mm. is yeah and so what would be your top tips for anyone who is seeking to experience more wholeness well I think it comes back to what I was talking about earlier from the perspective of don't be afraid to go to the dark side mm. you know it's like if you really truly want to embrace every aspect of who you are as a person then even just doing a simple exercise like sitting down with calmness and as few distractions as you possibly can whenever you can, even if it just is for five minutes or 10 minutes to start out with a day, maybe with pen and paper nearby you, make sure you've got some fresh air surrounding you, even if it's through a window in a room and just literally sitting down and asking yourself, tapping into your heart and asking yourself, what do I really need to work on right now? Where is my darker heart and being calling me? 
what do I know is not working for me at the moment about me, not about anybody else, but where am I not fully showing up? Where am I afraid? Where am I holding myself back? Just see what comes up. And don't try to edit yourself. Don't try to push it away. Don't try to temper it or sugarcoat it in any way. Let it all come out. And with that pen and paper, or if you want to voice record it for yourself, if that works better for you, just let it all flow. And keep doing that, maybe for a couple of days, maybe for a week, maybe for a month, and put it all out there and down. What you will find is not necessarily anything that won't be painless and won't be challenging and won't be difficult, but oh my goodness, Samantha, what you just give to yourself when you do that is absolute gold into the depths and core of who you are and everything that you need to lovingly and compassionately and with an open and giving heart work on for yourself. And that in and of itself is the the greatest big step that you can take towards your wholeness. Mm. I just got chills, Julie, like all of those questions are so powerful. I want to go and do them all right now. (laughs) Yeah, really powerful questions. Yeah. And it's also creating that space, isn't it? Just to connect with yourself and slow down. Oh, that is an imperative part of this. Mm. You know, you cannot live a whole heart-centered life if you are not finding ways to be with yourself. You have to be with your heart to be a heart-centered person. And even if that is just a cup of tea, and quiet for 10 minutes in your day but hopefully you can find at least every few days or once a week or so more than that it's imperative it's absolutely imperative because if you don't give yourself that time you won't be able to hear that tick tick you Mm. won't be able to hear the rhythm of yourself and that's so vital to being heart-centered and whole absolutely thank you so much julie i could just listen to you all day (laughs) you have such a beautiful soothing voice and way with words um before we wrap up is there anything that you any final words that you want to add any final words of wisdom Mm. i'd just like to maybe say to everyone listening samantha that you are absolutely glorious and okay Mm. And perfectly imperfect as you are right now. That there's nothing that you can find on a journey to wholeness that means that you are any less than who you are in this very moment or certainly less than anybody else. And if you give yourself that grace as you embark on this journey, you will never, ever steer yourself wrong And you'll continually keep coming back to your heart and what that means for you and living a heart-centered life. Thank you so much, Julie. It's a pleasure. Oh, I love chatting with you. I think that that, again, we could just play that over and over again and it would be a beautiful affirmation in the morning (laughs) to just listen to. (laughs) Please feel free, everybody. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) 